Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is January 13th. We are live with our first recap of the new year. And as we like to say, it is Barry's turn. Matt, how are you feeling about this day? Oh man, it is always Barry's turn now. <laughs> it's Barry's world Barry. and we are living in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it's Gary, Gary Gensler's world and Barry's living in it. Gary um, X Barry collab. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Gensler is living rent free in Barry's head. Um, <laughs> okay, what happened? Let's, let's, let's hear. Yeah, let's tell the people what we're talking about. Uh, so Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, put out a great video today. The opening line of which was, "What do seatbelts have to do with crypto?" Uh, yeah, yeah. So if you haven't seen that yet, I would go on Twitter and check out Gary Gensler. Uh, his the two minute video is like basically as bad as you would expect. Uh, what do seatbelts have to do with crypto? Wrong answers only. <laughs> wrong answers only. Yes. Um, they both hold you back. I... <laughs> <laughs> They're both uh, scams. <laughs> yes, they are both scams. That, that we can agree on. <laughs> uh so the sec today charged genesis and gemini with launching unregistered securities because of the earn program and uh people are you know understandably making fun of this they're like this is like if everybody lost their money at the casino and then the gambling, like the gambling association, was like, "Yeah, you can't run a casino," but everybody already lost their money. So. <laughs> yeah, pretty, <That's> pretty good, <laughs> pretty hysterical timeline of events here. Um, I don't. I mean, I guess the SEC is maybe trying to save face since they cozied up to FTX, or since Gary Gensler himself cozied up to FTX, like. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're timing, piling on. But... They're they're very piling on, right? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, this is like having like uh, I I guess I guess you're an only child, but like growing up with siblings, uh, sometimes the siblings fight, and then uh, you go to your parent, you know, mom, like siblings doing something again, right? And um, and you know, every once in a while, mom will just be like, yeah, cut that out, that's wrong, don't do that, right? And then all the other siblings will be like, yeah, stop, cut that out, you know, <laughs> we told you not to. <laughs> that's what this is. <laughs> yeah, shit. so, like, yeah, man, how, how did we get here? Well, what a, what a timeline of events, man. Um, <laughs> offering unregistered securities. Okay, look, uh, Okay, raise your hand if you think they weren't offering unregistered securities, right? Like, they, they, I think it's pretty clear cut that they were. Um, I'm not a securities lawyer, uh, neither, neither are you, I think. Uh, uh, do we, do we go through all four or five tests or four or five, like, signs of the Howie test here? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I mean, think that hmm, there's a good question here, well, right? So when you put your money in a bank, uh, and uh, like you earn interest on that savings account, is that a security? I mean, it's clearly not, right? Because we all have savings accounts. We they're not registered as securities, like the investments yeah, yeah. that we put our money into. Um, they're not, they're I think not the claim is what? What about CDs? yeah? I think this. Are CDs securities? I've never used a CD. 
Um, no, I don't think so anyone I, yeah. of our generation yeah. has. Yeah, no, I, I mean, they're not classified as securities, I'm pretty sure. But I hmm. think the main issue here is that they were... Um, oh, they are. Use, oh, they are. Interesting. Well, now we yeah. have our answer. And now the, now the audience knows how little we know about this. Um, <laughs> What's a CD? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They came up for MP3s. <laughs> or MP3 strings. <laughs> um, Floppy disk, the original securities. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, so I think the claim here is that they were basically offering yield and they were not telling customers how they were getting that yield and the products that they were offering to generate that yield were unregistered mm-hmm. securities, hence mm-hmm. making this an unregistered security. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. Like, this is, I think this is all really coming from like a two minute video and. I, I don't know about the formal complaint. This all happened a couple of hours ago, but I think more important is how do we even get here? Like, what's the backstory? What's the timeline of events for us to get into this position? Um, it all like the funniest part is like, like so much of this just starts with Luna, um, like starts and ends with Luna. You know, it's like <laughs> everybody, everybody kind of could have gotten away with everything they were doing if Luna hadn't collapsed, like all this stuff was going on. Uh, a lot of this stuff was mad shady, but like the Luna collapse just wiped everyone's balance sheet so hard and left them scrambling to pay back all these debts that they couldn't pay back. And uh, like true contagion, you know, I, I guess, but um, I would push back and I would say that like two things, right? So first of all, um, it's like a balloon, right? When you squeeze the balloon from one direction, the air is going to go to wherever you're not squeezing from. So if it, if it hadn't been Luna, it would have been something else, right? Um, like, it, and and I th- and you know my, my second my second pushback here would be, I think that the I, I think that all of this actually boils down to people falsely believing that. Um, the GBTC and Bitcoin prices had to like converge. See, I actually, I actually do think that they will converge um, at some point like GBTC. And I think the, I think the, the premium discount, whatever, I think it goes to zero. Cause the yeah, Bitcoin once is it there. Becomes, once you can redeem the Bitcoin. Right. But in the meantime, yeah. there, there is literally zero, uh, there's zero rationale for for that happening until that happens or until that becomes like clear that it's going to happen right and in the absence yeah. of any kind of like uh improvement in like the the regulatory system here like that can't happen um and so this whole thing is like you know if you think about the 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 bet on the on the spread decreasing right um it uh it, it it's kind of like a bet with infinite duration, right? Of like, you might have to hold that thing literally forever. And so as soon as you take on any kind of leverage whatsoever, you're screwed, right? Um, like your, your expected value of that is minus 100% just because it's yeah. completely unknown when it's going to happen. So you kind of have to have that like denominator term as like infinity. And so the expected value is zero, right? Um, weren't there, so weren't there some redemptions like starting to be made for uh, like the accredited investors that had originally deposited Bitcoin. Like weren't some people able to withdraw their actual like physical Bitcoin in the course of the last like year or two? 
Not, not that I know of. Um, as I understand it, it's only that like the accredited participants can, uh, or the authorized participants can create new shares. But I, I think it's pretty yeah, much yeah, like one that's way, for sure. One way mm. uh, street here, yeah. So because zero if, any, redemption. if anyone was able to do it, they would just buy it up off of the open market, right, and use that to redeem Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, huh? Okay, so like let's let's step all the way back, right? So. Um, Genesis and Gemini, like those are the two entities being charged right now. Uh, Gemini is in trouble because of their earn program, which a lot of other exchanges also were offering, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, Coinbase I I came about, this close, this right? close, yeah. And <laughs> the SEC said, yeah, you shouldn't do that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, it'll be really interesting to see, like. Why did Coinbase get the warning, but like Gemini, also a US-based exchange, didn't get that warning, right? Like, well, I think Gemini just kind of took it and ran with it. I think they launched their program before ever putting out into the public that they were planning to do this. I think the, huh. the thing that saved Coinbase is they were like, we're considering this. This is like something that's coming the next quarter or whatever. Um, and then the SEC was just like, yeah, man, nah. Uh, and so they, they stopped it. Uh, the funniest part was the uh, CEO of Coinbase put out a tweet thread, like just saying the SEC was being super shady. Um, but turns out that that warning probably saved them. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, um, the, the thing about lending in crypto, right, is that like there there are a couple of ways to lend, right? There's over collateralization and under collateralization. And the difference between the two is enormous, right? Mm-hmm. Lending under lending over collateralized in crypto like on Aave is pretty fucking safe, right? Like Aave's had very, very few instances of bad debt and they've always been tiny compared to the like amount of like uh, padding that they have built in to the, to the treasury, right? Um, lending to anyone under collateralized, anyone under collateralized is risky, right? Um, but uh, lending in a highly concentrated manner where you have like, so Genesis, right? Had this enormous loan to Three Arrows that they were unable to like... Uh, to uh, liquidate in time to, to like recoup their losses there. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, they had like a huge amount of risk with one counterparty. Right. And then like every counterparty at, at this point was probably also levered along uh, like Alameda. Right. Um, yeah. And because, you know, uh, money was free and like, you know, crypto only goes up. Right. Um, and so as soon as like that starts to unwind and all of your counterparties are playing in extremely correlated fields, that's when you start to run into trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, all right, so and let's I, wait. I let's think... try and spell this out. Yeah, let's try and spell this out. So Gemini users put money into Gemini to try and get 7% yield. Gemini... <laughs> the most dangerous lo- number in crypto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gemini gives that money to Genesis to perform a variety of financial activities, to, to lend it out and to, to gain whatever higher interest, 7%, and then to return that 7 to pass that through to Gemini, who then gives it to its customers. So Genesis is probably originating loans at like at least 10%, 12%, something like that, right? I think that's actually the number that they stated um, in, the, in the letter that they put out. They said that they were giving loans to even like its parent company, DCG, at 10 to 12%. That's the, that's the only way that they could pass that to Gemini. Gemini takes a fee and then gives it to its customers at 7%. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Genesis then made a ton of loans to Three Arrows Capital, as you mentioned, and also I think to like Alameda, to basically everybody, right? But Three Arrows mm-hmm. Capital is the one that really kind of like them blowing up is what screwed in Genesis. And what Three Arrows Capital was doing was, and you know, the, the Winklevoss twins claim that this is all an inside job between Barry Silbert and the founders of Three Arrows Capital. But basically Three Arrows Capital was taking all those all those loans, right? Um, creating GBTC, like buying or borrowing Bitcoin, um, creating GBTC with it, um, basically pumping the, the spread there, uh, using that GBTC as collateral to take on more loans and just doing the same exact thing over and over and over again, right? Yeah, um, and this this is when um, GBTC was trading at a premium to Bitcoin, massive right? Premium. So creating yeah, exactly. creating GBTC, this only works. yeah, yeah that, it that only works if works. there's yeah. A premium. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and then the market takes a downturn, right? Um, what What do you think was like the very first thing that screwed all this up? Is it that the GBTC premium went into a discount, and so the trade couldn't work anymore, and so Three Arrows Capital was kind of scrambling? No, I think um, I think they were hammering the other side of the trade. This is this is what mm. I can gather is that not not just them, but generally people like talked themselves into because they were printing money when GPTC was trading at a premium. They were like, oh, well, now that it's at a discount, we'll bet on the convergence from that end too, right? Mm. Um, and so uh, it's really easy to talk yourself into thinking that like ah, it's just as good a strategy as like when it was at a premium, right? I'll take my GBTC, um, or I'll take I'll take my Bitcoin uh, and or yeah I'll I'll borrow GBTC against it right um, or you know I'll I'll basically lever along GBTC with my Bitcoin as collateral right um, yeah 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 and uh, and as as that spread or uh, sorry I'll use my GBTC as collateral and uh, and go effectively long GBTC short Bitcoin. Um, mm. And as the value of your collateral drops, and your trade is working against you, right? Um, that's when you get absolutely wrecked. Uh, but yeah. but effectively, the bet is something like convergence from the other side, right? And mm. so because because betting convergence from the one side was so like you know that was effectively arbitrage, right? That that was risk free. Um, or there was a little bit of duration risk, but like, that's not what got them. What got them was thinking that like, oh, well now it's trading at a discount, but it's got to converge. Right. Um, and there's no, there's no reason that it should, but when you feel like you're on fire, you feel like none of your bets can fail. And Mm -hmm. it's really easy to misattribute like where your performance came from. Right. Um, so attribution is, is tricky. Right. Uh, and, uh, and it's really easy to just get over your skis, like taking a bet that looks like a bet that paid really well. Um, and that felt like arbitrage, right. The way that like DeFi yields feel like yields, right. (laughs) Um, like it's, it's sort of the same thing. It's like this misnomer of like, Oh, it's arbitrage. Oh, it's like over collateralized. Right. Um, Oh, it's yield. Uh, like all of these terms were really easy to like throw at people and make them think that they were missing something. Right. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think, uh, to a degree that's like the psyops of of crypto, right. Of like people going on Twitter being like, are you really going to miss this coin? That's about to hundred X anon. And then you're like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what coin that is, but I need to like try and figure it out now. 
or like people will be yeah. like the curve wars, right? The curve wars didn't mean anything, right? <laughs> um, those yields don't mean anything. They're curve emissions, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you see this over and over again of people getting confused. And sometimes it's easy to even get confused over like what you're taking on as a like relatively sophisticated player. Yeah. Um, well, the Sorry. one thing that's becoming clear is a lot of these players were not that sophisticated and a lot of their strategies, <laughs> especially were not that sophisticated. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like we're con- okay. Okay. Let's actually, let's continue the recap now. Okay. So okay, yeah. Genesis kind of gets screwed. Um, like three arrows blows up in large part due to Luna. Um, Genesis kind of gets screwed over this. Then the Winklevoss twins, basically a month ago, they claim that Genesis and DCG and the CEO of DCG, Barry Silver, were acting in bad faith and didn't disclose the fact that they were short a ton of money um, and that uh, this earn program and basically a lot of their creditors could not be paid back because there's a massive gap. There's just a massive hole in their balance sheet. And they were claiming that... Um, so what was the first thing they said? They, they, they said that all this is done in bad faith they said that we want to work with Genesis to come to a resolution. Um, we could probably raise the money to fill the gap, to pay back our uh, customers, and this can be a result. And then they gave an ultimatum. They said, uh, we need some kind of action by the 8th of January from Barry Silbert, from Digital Currency Group and Genesis to come to a resolution. January 8th came and went. There was no resolution. They put out another letter saying we call for Barry Silver to be fired and for the board to put in a new CEO that can actually fix the situation. That came and went. And then what happened? Barry Silver put out a statement saying, uh, I don't know, fuck all. Didn't really say much. <laughs> yeah, saying pretty much nothing. <laughs> saying, look, no, none of, none of what you said was true. I take issue with this. But no mm-hmm. further questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and and now now we're in this space of just like I mean you know all of this is kind of like theater, right? <laughs> because it's clear like the the money's not there. Yeah, the um, money is gone. There's no good way forward, right? <laughs> um, so like, what do you do, right? Um, uh, so know, here's the thing. Here, here's why. Yeah, well, I mean, here's why I bring up Luna, right? Is like, I think a lot of these holes, like, they came about because, like, everybody just expected this new asset to just go on forever, right? Like, it was like a $50 billion, $60 billion market cap, something like that. Um, and it went from, like, 20 bucks a token to, like, 100 and, 120 like, so quickly, right? Um, and it just felt yeah. like, oh, of course, this meteoric rise has to continue, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, like... Here, here's the thing that we're also seeing in like, this is the same thing with Alameda, FTX, and also like Three Arrows, right? It's like when you use this newly created asset that just inflates like crazy in value, the dangerous thing is starting to use that as collateral for new loans, for, you know, basically like credit that wasn't there a year ago, right? And so like when you start operating as if your balance sheet is, 10 billion, 20 billion, whatever it is in these assets that were literally created less than 12 months prior and inflated in value in such a meteoric manner. You can't mark those 
like you can't expect that to to stay as it is right like same thing with with alameda ftx like they were using their absolute shit coins like serum and oxygen and maps and all this and bonfita and like a lot of stuff that they created we we now find out um as collateral for a lot of other trading activities which were also not hedged in any way and so that i think is the big thing that like like you said like if it wasn't luna it probably would have been something else probably some other random shit coin that somebody created and pumped and uses collateral and to basically try and balloon their balance sheet right um yeah i mean i i've i've said this before but i i do want to point out right like um who was giving loans to alameda in a, like with with ftt as collateral genesis i think i mean why bother you have access to all the ftx customer assets and you're never going to get <laughs> there like why the fuck bother like doesn't make yeah. any sense to me oh i think they were just trying to balloon their um what is it you're you're more in the space was it uh just a balance sheet right what do you call it like the assets under management like you're Very just young, yeah you're just trying to balloon that as much as possible. Like if you have more money, you have more control. Um, you can kind of <laughs> move things the way you want. I guess. Of course, I mean, it's all in the name of effective altruism, though. So <laughs> can't blame the guy. What What I don't understand is like why bother with this Genesis situation when and printing the shit coins and like pumping them and whatever when you could actually just like take all the money that FTX has. <laughs> right? Well, I think they did that anyways, but it's like the customer deposits are probably only like what a billion dollars, couple billion dollars. Ten-ish. Why not just create? Yeah, sure, ten ish, but like why not just create some shit coins with an FDV of <laughs> like the serum? But the serum fully diluted valuation at its peak was like like 20 like i think like either 20 or 40 billion at its peak and the circulating wow. supply was like two to five percent of that right um and <laughs> that was so nuts. it was just it was so nuts right and even after yeah it had gone down like 60 70 percent it was still in the tens of billions of dollars in um fully diluted valuation and so like if you do that if somebody actually believes that that's a real valuation like oh i own 25% of this token whose value is 40 billion like m- you know originate me alone with 10 billion dollars worth of collateral which is obviously not a real thing but you can claim that it is i guess yeah with like your lock token as collateral effectively yeah yeah exactly i guess might as well get all okay. the leverage you can right um, yeah exactly <laughs> um uh, i mean this anyway this this leads pretty perfectly into our next uh main character of the day our boy sam is back <laughs> he just refuses uh, he refuses to he stop he just doesn't stop, <laughs> he just doesn't stop. Um, <laughs> i texted this after you sent me the article so he put out a Substack. he has a Substack now um i was like why did i just read this 30 minute Substack? like i just prefer his dumb tweet thread saying what because um, it's like a whole bunch of nothing you know he's basically saying like a lot of the same stuff that we just mentioned, like, oh, the market turned down. We had these loans on these assets that, um, you know, had very high valuations. Everything went down 90%, so we couldn't pay them back. And Alameda didn't hedge themselves. And so um, FTX got screwed because of that. Like, that's TLDR, what he's saying. Yeah, the, um, the, the way that he paints the picture, I thought was also interesting, right? Where uh, he effectively draws a parallel between... 
FTX and like all of the borrowing platforms, right? So like Genesis, Celsius, Voyager, Celsius, yeah, all Voyager these, yeah. yeah. Now the difference is that FTX like users, like when they deposited money or or crypto into FTX, they didn't do so under the guise of earning any interest. They didn't think yeah. that any of their assets were going to get lent out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that was not ever stolen. part of the of the purpose, right? Yeah, we're still yeah. just flat out stolen, right? Um, yeah. So you can't. Th- this is like a false equivalence here, right? Of like, look, you know, just like so many other players before them got wrecked, right? Like, yeah, you know, FTX got wrecked too because you know they tried to liquidate these loans and they couldn't or whatever. And you're like, you're not a loan platform. You're, <laughs> you're you shouldn't have had loans on your book, right? Like, yeah. especially like lending like like user collateral. Like, you genuinely weren't operating like any kind of like earned program right mm-hmm. um th- these were actually just assets the users thought you were custodying for them um like th- there's a big difference between an exchange and uh like a, a user deposit or sorry and a, and a borrow lend right um yeah and uh and that that was that was the big the big issue with the ftx uh post in, in my opinion um i think the funniest part is that he highlights like three things that uh were like big contributors to um, FTX going down. And then the fourth one is there was a coordinated attack by the CEO of Binance to destroy our tokens and the to completely tweet. destroy Alameda. <laughs> yeah, the fateful tweet. Um, <laughs> you know, the after reading that whole thing, I was like, if I was an uninformed like user, like I might actually believe this stuff. Um, if, yeah. I, if I didn't actually know what was happening, like it's laid out in such a way, like, like some of it is just purely just idiocy where he's like making spreadsheets where he's like these are estimated numbers bro what? <laughs> one, one decimal place <laughs> what, what are we doing <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, so i don't know i i like I, I didn't think much of the Substack, and you know uh, i don't know like it's, it's sbf like we all know what happened now um but look you know um here's the thing right uh yeah, I think not just if you were an uninformed like reader, but like I actually think that like more people than we would like to like more people than we would like like that are professionals within the crypto space are going to read this and be like, "Oh, I get it. It was like Celsius. Fuck." Like, you know, that yeah. shit's sometimes unavoidable as opposed to being like, wait, hang on. Why, why were they allowed to borrow when that like, wasn't in the yeah. terms and conditions at all? Yeah. <laughs> um, why were they? And yeah. And like by borrow, I mean, you know, do like, you know, you take the assets under your purview, you do whatever you want with them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and the thing is like, he mentioned like not in this piece, but he mentioned in the past in interviews that like, oh, you know, Alameda had a, had a, like a, basically like a, a line of credit and, and a lot of other market makers did. And that is actually uh, true in many ways. Right. So like a lot of other exchanges also have like borrow lend capacities. They'll have agreements with market makers um, to basically, yeah, like loan them funds, but that's a completely separate instrument and a completely different product. And you have to agree to that as a customer um, to let your funds be a part of that, right? Or, or like it's just in the general terms, which it's clear that that was not the case at FTX. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if anybody was convinced by that, just know that the fundamental premise here is that as an exchange, you have to make it clear that you're loaning out customer assets. If you don't do that, 
everything he's saying is moot. Like it's just, it's, it's not relevant. Um, so I, in a way, like a lot of the stuff he's saying probably did contribute to the demise of Alameda, but it was, uh, built on a false premise. Like you can't just be loaning out or stealing funds like that. Yes, uh, exactly. Um, that, couldn't put it better myself um yeah uh um cool. all right well um, look, oh, there, is, there is there is one oh, good okay, thing okay. you ready yeah. um mm. svf this guy ships he's a ship or he's shipping <laughs> <laughs> think about it how many how many sub stack drafts do you have that haven't been posted yet true. i have like three it's true um, <laughs> this man makes Very his sub stack post the first one 10 minutes later i mean he is uh yeah. he, he is he is uh executing <laughs> bullish <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I love the I love that that tweet. I saw a great tweet. It was like, "Babe, are you okay? You haven't touched your Substack drafts." <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. That's Caroline talking to SBF. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on to our third main character of the day. We've talked about them a little bit. Our boys at Celsius, Alex Mashinsky. Uh, what a throwback. Under scrutiny. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Six months ago, Celsius was everything we were talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, so Celsius, uh, yeah. I, actually, why don't you take a stab at this one? I think you're more you're more plugged in. Yeah, so um, so if you if you read up or listen to like any of the like legal people that are that are weighing in on what's going to happen with FTX, um, uh, generally one one like core issue that they flag again and again is like the remaining assets that FTX has, are they like assets of the business that are going to need to be like used to pay back like debtors before like, or sorry, creditors, like before like unsecured creditors, um, like the users, where, where do the users fall in the capital stack, right? Like you have, like you have debt, you have equity, um, you have depositors, like where, where are the depositors, right? Now, um, with FTX, because the users were not making loans, like it's kind of clear that like they should have first first right to those to to whatever assets actually can be uh, scraped together. Um, but with Celsius, it's a little bit different. The users actually were depositing these assets with the expectation that like they might get lost, right? Um, like anytime you make a loan, there is default risk, right? Um, and so as a result. Um, there was there was a ruling by the judge in the Celsius case that um, users of like the Celsius Earn product um, that their the assets that they deposited were no longer their property as soon as they like deposited them into this product, um, and so they might actually get zero cents on the dollar even if some of those assets are are still there, um, mm. because they literally might get used to pay out like equity holders ahead of them. Mm. Um, yeah. Like they're just fully unsecured creditors that, um, that by default, like wind up like last in the capital stack as I understand it. Um, and so this is, this is noteworthy, right? Because you might think like, okay, like there's a bank and everyone deposits their money and the money gets lent out and like maybe then there's a run on the bank and so the bank becomes insolvent. And at that point, withdrawals get halted, right? Uh, and then say everyone, you know, say like 80% of the assets are, are there, then everyone gets paid out 80 cents on the dollar. Except that here, the depositors uh, like right to that cash is pretty much zero. 
um, mm-hmm. because that's no longer their money. As soon as they deposit it, they they give up all rights to it, um, and that that is a it sets a really interesting premise, right? Of like when you send money to a crypto exchange, can you know do, does the, does the same principle carry, or does it have to be that you deposit it into like a lending agreement? Yeah, I mean, in this case, I think it was pretty clear in the Celsius terms, right, that you're foregoing rights to this capital until you withdraw, at least. Um, yeah. It's now in the purview of Celsius. And like, I, yeah, I, I'm sure there were different terms of service in the products Celsius is offering, the products FTX is offering. There may be some kind of segmentation, right? Like if there are parts of FTX's business where you did agree to have your funds loaned out or whatever. I don't like, I don't think they had any kind of earn program, but like, I don't know, maybe like some customers did agree to that. But uh, in general, like that is not in terms of services of a normal exchange. And I also don't, I don't think that applies to FTX. Like I, I don't yeah. think customers gave up that right to their funds. Yeah. Um, but it does, you know, it does kind of wind up like looking really, really bad for people like BlockFi, right? Um, mm. BlockFi, Celsius, any of the borrow and platforms, Gemini Earn, right? Um, like FTX, if there are any users or like Celsius, for example, right? Basically, if you deposited your assets into the Earn program to try to earn 7% most dangerous number in crypto on them, um, then, uh, uh, no matter like what they recover, those assets are going to be used to pay out other users first. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, it's, um, it's really interesting, right? Because you might get written off to zero so that the guy next to you that forgot to hit the deposit button gets paid out. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what, what other groups do you think this applies to? It's basically just the three that we mentioned, right? Like BlockFi, Gemini, um, uh, Voyager, Celsius. Um, that's yeah. Those are the only oh, ones yeah. that are like really in trouble. Oh, uh, apparently Nexo. Nexo's offices just got raided. Uh, yeah, in which, Bulgaria. Which country? Bulgaria. Yeah. Yeah, Bulgaria. Um, Nexo is so complicated, man. They have they they have so many like legal issues going on, and yet they're still. I want to say like starting like new business lines and stuff. Like it, it's. Um, I don't. I genuinely don't understand this company. Yeah, I, somebody suggested I use them, and I just was like, um, I'm good. Um, <laughs> no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Although I will say it was a heavy, heavy BlockFi user for many years. Um, no kidding, really? Oh, dude, yeah. I levered up so hard on BlockFi from, like, 2020 until basically the end of 2021. Um yeah, initially it was using Unchained Capital. Shout out to Unchained Capital. Like mm-hmm. a much, much, much better model uh, for borrow lend. Um, they're Bitcoin only. How does, how does that work? So you enter your Bitcoin into a multi-sig um, where you're one of the signers. Unchained Capital is one of the signers. And then there's a third party, um, like basically like a... I don't know if it's like a qualified custodian or basically just like a third party um, that's also a third signer. And like a so, liquidator almost. Yeah, exactly. And so you can get liquidated on your capital, um, like if it goes below a certain threshold, but um, you still hold one of the keys. And so you know, and the main thing is that it's all on chain, right? So you can see exactly where your Bitcoin is 
at all times. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, it's just super interesting. Like rehab Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that has zero rehab application. The uh, the problem was is that anytime you would want to move your funds or you would want to like lever up even more, right? Because you can keep this Ponzi going, right? You have let's say one Bitcoin, you take a loan for a half Bitcoin. Now you have one point five Bitcoin. You can take a, you can take a loan for yeah. uh, you know whatever. Yeah, like this whatever. is the power of recursion. More. Yeah, exactly. So um, the problem was anytime you wanted to like move your coins or you wanted to lever up more you would have to wait for them to sign the multi-sig and you would put in the requests like on a Monday, they would approve it Monday night and they would sign it by Tuesday night. So I was like, bro, I don't want to wait two days. Like the price during the bull market, the price might move 25% in that time. <laughs> so I was like, wait, there's this BlockFi thing. They just credit you in stable coins within 30 seconds. I'm going <laughs> to use that. <laughs> uh, so, that's great. Uh, so yeah, uh, it was great. Uh, no longer, um, yeah, RMP. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. Oh, did you also see the BlockFi? Like, there was some shady stuff going on. Apparently, like they boosted a bunch of executive salaries right after their equity yeah. portions got wiped out. Uh, yeah, yeah, a bunch of shady stuff. Also, the CEO of BlockFi took like a ten million dollar loan um, from the company to like pay his taxes or something like that. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Um, I think that's the <laughs> lesson in all this, and the funniest part is Suzu tweeted this out. It's basically just like leverage is bad. Um, anybody who's <laughs> trying to trade crypto on leverage just gets wiped out, as I've learned the hard way. <laughs> as we all <laughs> and have. Then he ends with, and then he ends with stay humble and stack sats. Like, Dude, who knew this guy was a fan of Marty Bent? Uh, <laughs> shout out Marty Bent, OG Bitcoiner. Um, <laughs> okay, let's move on from all these levered, levered players. The main characters talked Speaking about. Speaking of OG Bitcoiner, you know today is the uh, today's the anniversary of the first uh, Bitcoin transaction. Um, so Wait, really? Sent, January thirteenth, like ten Bitcoin to Hal Finney. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, I didn't know it was today. That's cool. Yeah. So up until um, up until this point, um, uh, the only block, all the blocks had been empty. Mm, wow. Okay. Isn't that cool? So like ten days, nine ten days, just no activity, and then yeah, Satoshi and on the eleventh sends... day, God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's like a running Bitcoin. There's like a marathon, I think, or like some kind of race called Running Bitcoin, Wait, uh, in honor cool. of Hal Finney. Yeah, in honor of Hal Finney because he died of ALS and he was like a massive runner. Um, That's yeah. really cool. Shout out Hal Finney. True OG Bitcoiner. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let's move into our last couple of topics here. A uh, couple, couple cool like partnerships. Couple cool upgrades. All right. Optimism. Uh, Girly Testnet is transitioning to Bedrock. Um, you have some hot takes. Yeah. Um, so, longtime fans of the show will know just how much love I have for optimism. Um, and we're, we're about to do what I call a pile on let's pile on some more. Um, so, uh, look, uh, like rewinding a little bit, right. What is optimism anyway? Right. Uh, optimism exists in two places. First is there's this contract on, on Ethereum 
where users send their assets and can withdraw assets from it, right? Mm. Um, and then second is this whole other machine of like, it's effectively like a blockchain. It's the Optimism blockchain, you could think of it, right? That has all of the transactions that happen on Optimism, all of the contracts that are deployed on Optimism, um, except there's only like one uh, block producer effectively. And that that's that's the sequencer. So the sequencer gets all of the transactions and the sequencer is run by Optimism Labs or whatever, gets all the transactions, mm-hmm. um, it orders them, it posts them to to its blockchain, um, and then when users want to withdraw, it calls a con- that same contract on Ethereum with like some some call data that uh, is supposed to be like, look, here's the path of like ETH. As, so say you deposit some ETH, you send it to me, I send some back to you. You want to withdraw it? Um, mm. The optimism like sequencer is going to post down to the l1 it's, it's going to call a function in this, on the ethereum contract saying hey release some some eth to quran in seven days um and in the meantime anyone can come in and be like whoa 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 here's here's a proof here's a here's a proof that like that's not uh that that's not valid the quran doesn't actually have that much eth on on the optimism chain right um Except that that's not live yet, but we'll, we'll get yeah, there in yeah. a second. Um, right. So then the question is, all right, like there, you have this smart contracting platform. It's meant to be EVM compatible. Uh, what software are you going to use? I would just use basically a modified version of an, any Ethereum client, right? Uh, like Gath is like the, the, the most used one um, or was like prior to the merge. Um, but... Uh, Optimism has, for some reason, decided to like move away from this uh, and use mm. their own like uh, their own client effectively or their own client software, um, and it's not that similar to Ethereum, right? Or it's it's similar-ish, right? But there's still differences. Now you could say, look, there's got to be some differences, right? Because you have one sequencer, you're not like using proof of stake, right? Like you just have one block producer, right? Um, and like, also you have to have all this nonsense about like posting the call data down to like the, the like L1 with the, in the, with mm. the contract call. Um, so like, yeah, there's gotta be some differences, but um, optimism sort of like their, their version of all of this is like way further from Ethereum than it ever needed to be. Um, mm. And, uh, and so you might ask yourself like, why, why not just have the Ethereum software? Um with ZK rollups, this is really clear, right? Some of the like EVM opcodes are very difficult to code into these like ZK circuits. Um, and so some of the, the like pre-compiled opcodes in particular are going to be like not available on many of the, the ZK EVMs, right? Uh, so you have your, your EVM, it has these opcodes and you need to like represent them at, in, in like, a, a, like an electrical circuit kind of way. Um, in order to like generate the the zero knowledge proofs that like prove that like whatever transactions are valid, um, mm. but on an optimistic rollup, like really, you know, you only need to support the ability for people to come in and submit fraud proofs, right? And uh, for for optimism, at least, that's not here yet. There, it's unclear right. when that's going nobody to can actually yeah nobody can do this this is all in theory right now yeah 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 so there's literally there should be zero difference right between yeah. the software that optimism is running to like process like 
transactions and the software that Ethereum nodes run to process transactions. Like, mm-hmm. because there is no difference in the way that, that it's all happening. There should be almost no difference, right? Um, yeah. And Optimism has taken this as a way to do a little bit of marketing, actually. So they're like, look, mm. we're releasing Optimism Bedrock. And it's yeah. EVM equivalent, which no one else has. And it's like, yeah, of course no one else has it because they all have proofs. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you're just running effectively like a blockchain with one validator, right? With, yeah. with, with no difference to Ethereum, except that like no, except that like no one else can make blocks. Um, and, uh, and that's what optimism bedrock is. They're like, it's a gazillion times faster than the last optimism thing. And you're like, the last optimism thing should have just been Ethereum. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, like they're like bedrock is as close to Ethereum as, as feasible for, for an optimistic roll up. And I'm like, so you mean Ethereum? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So basically you're saying this is a bunch of nothing. This is total nonsense. This never should have been this way to begin with. It never should have been different mm. from Ethereum. Why on earth are you mm. like the fact that it was different from Ethereum in the first place is nuts. Uh, and, and then the fact that like you're bragging about it getting closer to Ethereum is double nuts. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and this is, and the part where I really take issue is that like they, they write these technical posts that are like, full of jargon full of words that like nobody knows because they were made up by optimism labs which is like to a degree what we all do right in this space that's existed for 10 years but Mm -hmm. you can't you know like i i just find it like very dishonest to like release like uh hey look at this amazing piece of technology that like should have actually just existed from the start and like what the fuck Mm. like you just released like a fucked up version just so that you could brag about releasing like the the version that should have always existed that would have been easier Mm. to implement and then like nobody can read it or understand it like like i had a lot of trouble reading into the technicals of what the fuck optimism bedrock is because it's full of psyops right um ah. and, and so and so there it's this like gaslighty thing where they're like oh don't understand why optimism bedrock is a big deal you think it should have just been ethereum this whole time oh oh that's cute like you just clearly don't have the technical chops to understand this kind of like big brain thinking <laughs> step mm. aside like let the let the mm. big people handle this um it's just like total bullshit <laughs> tell us how you really feel matt <laughs> yeah uh this is this is another saga in your ongoing war with optimism i i i enjoy this quite a bit <laughs> dude wait um, um did, did we talk about i i i think that like it would be so cool to release a roll-up called pessimism <laughs> uh, where it's like optimism yeah. but every app is in dark mode <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, I mean, it sounds like it's it's quite simple to ship something like that. So, uh, yeah. Maybe we get it. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's hit on one more of your favorite topics. Another group that you absolutely love, Ava Labs. <laughs> Ava Labs. Uh, baby. <laughs> yeah, Ava Labs. Uh, this actually sounded kind of cool, um, at least for developers. So they have a partnership with Amazon to basically let people build their own subnets directly through AWS. Um, so I, I'm not really, I mean, I'm not maybe really, I'm not a developer, so I have no idea <laughs> how hard this would be um, just to try and do it out of the box, right? So like if you went to AWS, like 
what is the value? What is the service that's really being provided here? Uh, okay, it's it's uh, it's specific but valuable. So um, mm. so it used to be in order to spin up a subnet and like props to the Avalanche team, their documentation is really good. So they had examples mm. for like here's how you spin up a subnet with one line of code, and like it it would generally work. It it was quite good. Um, now instead of spinning it up by running like one command on the terminal, you can go to the AWS website and click deploy, and not have to. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's That's literally cool. just the, the front end. Yeah, uh, because you're so what about, when, when like, you're running this kind of yeah. stuff, it's going to be in the cloud anyway. You're not like running a subnet with your own yeah, like yeah. servers at home, right? Um, and it's uh, and a lot of the Altel ones kind of got this right. Like even Harmony had very good documentation of like here's how you set up like Harmony like validator on AWS, on Google Cloud, on you know DigitalOcean, whatever. Um, and uh, it, it just wasn't supported by those companies out of the box where you could, like, click a button to set one up. Um, instead, you had to, like, go in and, like, choose the size of server box you wanted. And then and you just do it according mm. to their specifications, right? Uh, DigitalOcean, I think, has, like, a templates thing where, uh, like, Harmony just had a template. And they were like, click here to clone the template. And you're like, yeah, that's uh, pretty easy, too. <laughs> uh, so with these subnets, right? Like how, like you still have to go through the process of getting your own validator set and and all this kind of stuff, or is that also going to be managed through AWS? Like, or are you borrowing like validators from like Ava Labs, basically, like the actual mainnet? Um, or oh like, yeah, no, how, none, how of that, that none of that has changed. Work? That's all. That's all. That's all okay. the same. So you still have to find yeah, people yeah. that have the AVAX that are willing to stake it and validate your subnet. This is literally just like once those people have agreed, and sometimes those people are mm. you, and sometimes those people are Ava Labs, and sometimes you grant from Ava Labs to fund you. Um, and they're just trying to like set up the actual computers to do it. This makes it like, mm. like mar- marginally easier. But setting up okay. a validator is super fucking technical. So it's not mm. like th- those same people weren't exactly, this wasn't their pain point, right? Yeah, I see. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, they probably like, just thinking about this, they probably have some kind of other stuff in the pipeline to like basically borrow validators or like, I don't know, get validators and much more easily, right? Like this is, it seems like they're solving for the very, very like last step right now, but. There's a lot of stuff in the back end that they need to do and figure out to make this easier. Yeah, I mean, my my thesis on who's going to win the app chain space is exactly that. It's going to be about, like, how easy is it for you as a developer to source providers of security, right? To source validators, to source, like, um, stake, right? Uh it's it's mm. going to be about that marketplace. It, it's, it's literally going to be like a marketplace where on one end you have, like, people that are willing to give you block rewards or cash even it could just be a cash payment right um yeah and so that's like developers right they're willing to spend a little bit of money in you know on a block by block basis or whatever um to get that decentralization and security and then on the other hand you have people that have these like stakeable assets and they're willing to put them up to be slash or whatever and and provide that block space in exchange for Mm. these rewards and it's going to be about who creates the best marketplace for these two for these two parties um and I think, you know, I think it's a jump ball at this point. Um, you know, I, I, I think Polygon has a good shot, to be honest, um, just because of, like, the business development expertise that they already have, right? Um, yeah. I think that, like, they've got a lot of experience matching developers and stakers. Um, and, uh, and you know, versus, like, someone like a Cosmos where, like, the BD experience isn't there. Um, I was going to say, yeah. Cosmos is probably low on the list here. 
Um, <laughs> hard to say, right? I, I just, I do think though that um, Avalanche's attempts thus far at launching subnets have kind of missed the point, right? Mm. Where it's like, yeah, man, like you still have to like, where are you going to get the AVAX to do? You know, it's not about like the technical challenges here. It's about the economic challenges. Yeah. Yeah. It's all social consensus, as you said. Um, once some some of these people start launching and they are successful, other people will do the same. But it has to be easy and finding validators to, you know, I don't know, rally around what you're building is a lot harder than actually deploying this stuff. Yeah, and, and this is the hard part with something like Eigenlayer, which you might have heard a little bit about. It had a little mini uh, narrative, um, and yeah. a lot of people have it on their list of like predictions for 2023, but it's basically that. It's basically mm. like, can we create some way where people who are staking ETH can also stake that ETH and use it to, and like put it up for slash ability on like other mm. blockchains. Um, and, uh, you know, we should, we should do a deep dive on it, but basically uh, my, my two second take is that's not the hard part. Like the hard part is the coordination, right? It's yeah, not the like right. tech, like the tech is already here, right? Like mm. we, we can have multi-chain like slashing shared security, whatever. It's, it's literally just about the marketplace. Um, Mm. So, uh, uh, yeah, um, like the, other thing that, the other thing that I find interesting is, uh, you know, Google cloud has like pretty strong, like Ethereum support. They have strong Solana support. I don't know if you remember, they announced it like literally the day before CZ's tweet about like FTT. I do remember <laughs> so this. Solana, yeah, yeah. Solana pumped, Solana pumped the day before it dumped. It's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, mm. I just think, you know, if you're a cloud services provider, this is a market that makes a ton of sense to, to cater to. Um, and so it's, it's yeah. good to see, it's good to see that happening. Mm. All right, Matt, I think we hit everything here. You got anything else for the week? Uh, no, let's, uh, let's go enjoy the weekend. Let's enjoy the weekend. This has been the Decent Crypto Podcast for January 13th. We'll be back later next week with our latest deep dive have a good weekend everybody until next time stay decent Uh, none of this was financial advice legal advice investment advice or any other kind of advice Uh, if you're looking for advice you are definitely in the wrong place Uh, until next time stay decent